podcasters assemble. This is Becky, Troy's wife. This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs podcast. Hey everyone, it's Rob here, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. Hi, I'm Jason, representing Drinkopedia podcast. This is Katie from Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. This is Arjuna Gonzalez from Thoughts from the Level Editor. And this is... Captain America, the First Avenger. 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 Now, I mean, let's be honest. Captain America is my goddamn favorite hero of the MCU of all time, man. My favorite hero moment is near the beginning of the movie when Steve Rogers is getting beat up by that guy outside of the movie theater. Steve says, I, I can, can do, do this, this all day. day. You know, he's always ready to fight scrawny little kid. God, great. So even before Steve Rogers became Captain America, he never really knew when to back down in a fight. And he always pushes forward even when it's very clear that he's beat or he's outmatched. Um, he just never gives up. He needs Barnes to come in and save him because we've had like four movies right now where the protagonist is either some sort of super rich and smart inventor or a super smart scientist or a Viking demigod. And it's cool for once to have a protagonist who starts out from very humble and weak origins. And he doesn't need to have all of that before he becomes the superhero that he will be. And that's why Erskine like calls him like he's a good man with a good heart which is precisely like why he chose him in the first place because like Steve was just so much more than what he wanted to become like he was a good man and he had a good heart One of the things I always forget about this movie is that it's got Tommy Lee Jones in it. What the heck is he doing here? It's so weird to me that Tommy Lee Jones is in this movie. And he's phenomenal. He's just this great, like, gruff military dude who has so many good one-line moments. When when Steve's doing jumpy jacks, he's talking about how pathetic he is, and he goes, look at him, he's making me cry. When he's, you know, in training, and, uh, you know, Tommy Lee Jones' character pulls that grenade and tosses it out there, and everybody runs and hides, and yet... Chris Evans taking that, like, landing on that grenade, to taking the bullet in a training situation to prove, you know, that he's just the, just the best morality wise. He's just, he's cap man. He's fine for your freedom. God, the best. Because the serum enhances who you already are. And the other guy that like Tommy Lee Jones's character really wanted to be part of the project was he was a bully. So giving him the serum would only enhance like him being a bully. Whereas Steve was not that where he was beaten down a lot, but that never really stopped him from rising up to a fight where it was clearly he was outmatched, but it didn't matter. 
and, and Erskine kind of looks at looks at Tommy Lee Jones like, eh? And he goes, well, he's still skinny. It's great. Tommy Lee Jones is so good. Erskine um, is sitting on the bed talking to Cap before the night before his surgery, um, or surgery procedure, um, and he pours a drink for both of them in two glasses, and then they cheers, and Cap goes to the little guys, and Erskine goes, wait, wait, what are you doing? You have procedure tomorrow. No fluids. And then Cap says, all right, we'll drink it after. And Erskine goes, no, no, I don't have procedure tomorrow. Drink it after. I'll drink it now. It's great. <laughs> My favorite villain moment is it's probably when Steve and sort of like the audience watching kind of realizes just to what length Hydra will go to win. Um, when we see that with uh, Richard Armitage's character, Heinz Kruger, who's the it's in the part where um, basically where Steve be basically becomes Captain America, um, where he gets the serum and he, you know, turns into, you know what he looks like after. But if I just had to choose one good scene from this movie, I mean, it's the Steve Rogers transformation scene. Am I right? Am I right, people? When he comes out and Peggy Carter is like putting her hand up and she, she just mistakenly touches his ab and like her whole hand takes up one ab, we all died, right? Like that's a hero moment. That's an action scene. Does that count? That definitely counts. The chase scene that happens through the streets of New York is absolutely fantastic. A Hydra agent has shot Erskine. He's taken the super soldier formula and he's on the run. Peggy is chasing the guy, the bad guy. I don't know what his name is. Um, she's chasing the bad guy out um, outside because he stole the serum. And um, she's running outside and starts shooting at the car. And she just has amazing aim. Um, when she's shooting the car. Um, so she's just badass. <laughs> and Steve, in his new super soldier body, just runs out in the street barefoot and starts chasing after him. And it's great because that's what Steve does. This isn't a Captain America moment. This is a Steve Rogers moment. He's running through the streets. He's jumping on top of cars. He knows New York City well, so he's able to cut down alleys and cut the guy off. He's not used to his body yet, so he does smash through a window display, but he just keeps going. He keeps chasing the guy. We get a great moment where he uh, holds up a, a shield uh, in the form of a taxi cab's door that has a star on it in a circle. Kind of looks like a shield. We'll see you later. And he deflects some bullets with that. And then, oh no, the Hydra agent has taken a kid captive and chucks him into the water. And the kid's like, it's cool. I can swim. It's one of the silliest moments, and I love it. Cap keeps running after the guy who jumps into a sub and takes off. There's no way Cap's going to be able to stop a sub, but he's Steve freaking Rogers. So he dives into the water and starts swimming after the submarine and totally catches the guy. It's fantastic. I love seeing Steve just go, 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 because that's what he does. As he says over and over again, I can do this all day. Heinz Kruger takes the cyanide pill after he kills Dr. Erskine and steals the vial and like runs and like grabs that kid and there's like that whole chase scene and all that stuff. But I don't think anybody really realized just how like deep Hydra will go to win. And 
obviously I think this is when they start to realize just like the existence of Hydra and just how like entrenched and how deep they're going. So this kind of gives you this more indication of that Hydra just won't go away, that this may not be the end of it, even though this is sort of the beginning of the film already. So obviously we're going to get way more of that as the film progresses with more and more of Hydra, right? Um, but that's the whole thing is that we hear that, you know, when you cut off one head, two will take its place. And that's what Hydra's thing was, is that even though you kill or take away just like one part of Hydra, that doesn't mean that you're going to get every part of it. And we see that obviously much later on when we see just how entrenched Hydra became because they didn't really realize the breadth of Hydra's reach. And this film gives us sort of that first indication of just how big Hydra really is. The Red Skull is great. He is creepy and terrifying, and he has a wonderful lackey in Armin Zola. When the Red Skull is showing around some of the Fuhrer's uh, agents who are basically criticizing Hydra as being a complete waste, uh, he takes them into, into Zola's lab where there's a Tesseract-powered weapon there and gets it all lined up as he's talking about how, you know, who cares about what the Fuhrer wants, he's going to take over the whole world and... He's going to take out all the enemies at once, all my enemies at once, not the Fears enemies, my enemies. And then uh, one of the guys looking at a map and realizes that one of the capital cities marked for destruction is Berlin. Berlin is on this map. And then uh, he goes, so it is. And then zaps them all with a gun. So there's two great things in this scene. One is the face that Schmidt makes as he's aiming the gun at one of uh, Hitler's stooges and he misses. And he just kind of makes it like, mm, darn it. Mm, there we go. Adjusted it. Face. And then zaps the guy again and is like, ha ha, face. It's just great. This, he He's clearly enjoying like, ah, this is so much fun zapping these guys. And, you know, he's killing Nazis. So I guess. It's... Okay. The other great thing is after he takes all the guys out, he does a, you know, a Hail Hydra and has a, a bunch of stooges in the background yell Hail Hydra. And then it camera pans over to Zola and Toby Jones is standing there looking like freaking terrified. And then he's like, oh, yeah, Hail Hydra. And it's clear that he's like he's realizing that Schmidt is uh, kind of going too far. He knows it's wrong. He knows that this is a bad path to go down. And I mean, the Red Skull is supposed to be like the main villain, but I think overall, like overall, it's Hydra. Like that's for me that right there is like the main villain villain in this film and beyond. So like we see that a lot later on. After Steve Rogers goes through the transformation procedure and ends up all buff and ripped, he's ready to go fight in the war and thinks that's where he's headed when he gets told that Basically, he's going to be shipped off to a lab to be studied as a freak. Um, fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, he's instead given the opportunity to basically go on a, a USO show to, on the road to sell war bonds. Um, it, it's interesting because this is important work and it's important that those bonds be sold. I mean, that was a, a way that, that money was raised for the war. 
I will say that the scenes where Captain America gets used to show for war bonds after the experiment and such, they clearly tried to make them cringeworthy, and they succeeded, and that's why I fast-forwarded through most of them. So, if it seems like I'm missing a plot point that was explained in some offhand line, that's why. It's just too cringeworthy for me. I liked that they showed his, you know, original just cloth fabric costume when he was doing, um the USO shows and that type of thing and trying to raise war bonds, soldier. It's a weird montage because it starts off with Steve really uncertain about the war bonds thing, about the being a character, basically, idea. Uh, and then as, as the montage goes on and on, he's clearly getting into it. He's starting to know his lines really well. He's starting to really ham it up when he's acting. He's getting real into punching Hitler in the face. It's clear that he's enjoying what he's doing. And then it cuts to a USO show that's actually, you know, on the front lines. And it doesn't work. Uh, he's just destroyed by the soldiers basically laughing him off stage because they think he's a joke. And he realizes that he is a joke. So much so that we see him drawing in a notebook, a, a little monkey performing tricks for a crowd because that's all he feels like also really like that because Steve Rogers is an artist and I appreciate that they threw that in there. Uh, let's see. My favorite action scene is probably all of the scenes where Cap is attacking all the factories, especially when he goes in to save the soldiers and Bucky, like that first time where he's like really embraces the person that he has become because, you know, like he became Captain America and then Erskine died and then they decided that he was just sort of this science project and stuck him out doing the, what do you call it? Like uh, doing the war bonds thing where he was just sort of a show pony or a show monkey as he was like, he was drawing that picture right of him as a dancing monkey. So this is the first time where we really see Cap in action beyond what we saw when he was chasing. Like we get the full picture of his strength in this moment when he shows up at that factory and just starts like taking everybody out my favorite line of dialogue is in the part where captain america has infiltrated the hydro weapons base and he's rescued the pow's including dum dum dugan and the other guys that we'll see later on in the movie and he tells them like here's where you got to go to escape the base give them hell on the way out and then somebody asks him do you know what you're doing and he says yeah i've knocked out adolf hitler over 200 times there aren't as many funny quips in this movie as there are in, say, Iron Man or Iron Man 2 or The Avengers, but of those lines where they're trying to be funny, that one works. That one works. And I love that the the moment the Red Skull sees Cap on surveillance video, he just starts hitting all the self-destruct buttons, and he, he just was like, we are outmatched. He was like, we're going to lose, obviously, and it's only just one person. It's not a bunch of people. It's not an army. It's just Steve. Like, he's enough to beat everyone. And the Red Skull knew that instantly. I think my favorite villain moment is the one where Captain America first meets Red Skull, and, and Schmidt takes off his mask and reveals the creepy Red Skull, which I remember from the Captain America and the Avengers video game, and I was like, yeah, that's the guy I beat up in a video game several times back in the day. 
And then everything about that fight scene and the way that the action plays out after that is very well done. Like, even that close-up where um, Red Skull manages to make that fist-shaped dent in Captain America's shield, whereas he's, like, seemed invincible and been able to steamroll everything in his path leading up to that. And there's something about action movie tropes where, you know, the hero and the villain fight it out in a building that's self-destructing. It's, like, happens in a lot of action movies, and it's often, like, really good. And then it has that scene at the end where that support beam is uh, completely fallen off and Captain America and Barnes are trying to get out of there. So Captain America does this huge running jump across the roof of the building, not across the roof of the building, but like way high up there on the catwalk. And it ends with like flames flying up everywhere. And of course they make it, but that whole scene where he's just jumping over there, that was, that, that was very well done. And I love every other fight scene where we see um, we see the whole group like attacking all of the factories because one of my favorite things to watch is Cap using his shield. I love the way that he like his shield just becomes a part of him, and he uses it in a bunch of different ways, whether it's like throwing it, using it to uh, break things open, and different things like that. But like he uses it not only as a tool but as like an extension of his own body, and. It's super amazing. And I mean, obviously, like, Captain America's shield is super iconic for his character anyway. So it's really amazing just to watch the way that he uses it uh, in the different fight scenes. So, like, I'm just just a Captain America fangirl over here. Um, this movie has, like, several scenes in it that could have worked as the final battle in any other action movie. But then, no, there's even more stuff after that. So my Stanley moment for um, this movie is um, Stanley is sitting in the crowd of people. There, um, it the camera pans into an award ceremony for Cap after he saves all the soldiers, and um, then a guy walks out on the stage and whispers in the ear of um, the guy presenting, and then it pans over to Stanley sitting in in the audience and he's like I thought he'd be taller him and every Peggy Carter moment the best hero moment he's such a chivalrous guy he's definitely a virgin that's that's addressed in the in the movie I guess uh it's just he's just so innocent I love Steve Rogers I'm a big fan of the almost uh James Bond style uh by equipment scene we get where uh, Tony Stark, I'm sorry, Howard Stark is showing Cap around the base and showing him different shields and things like that. I, I think it's kind of neat. It was cool seeing the steampunk probably wouldn't be the right word, but the way that these Marvel movies work, they're very dependent on having like characters examining something in some high-tech setup or whatever, uh, but it's World War II, so they have to make it look like it sort of vaguely fits in the time and so there's a lot of not quite steampunk i don't know world war ii punk i don't know what you would call it equipment in there which is you don't see a whole lot of it's very, kind of vaguely bioshock one-esque now that i think of it howard stark would be the type of person who would create some sort of underwater colony but he wouldn't turn it into some libertarian dystopia he'd probably just fill it with dancing girls and whiskey so Peggy is pissed off at Cap for kissing another girl, and she walked in on it. 
Um, and so she's pissed at him and Cap is um, with Stark looking at his shield and she walks in. He goes, what do you think? She gets super jealous and he's asking about the shield and like she shoots at him. She grabs a gun off the table, shoots it several times and then um, says, uh, yes, I think it works with a smirk on her face. And then she goes back to like being pissed off. So, um, yeah, I just think she's funny. <laughs> Honestly, I would have been okay with them spending a little more time on the the kind of shield tech side of things. We get hints about that later on in the movies, but more on the Agents of Shield TV show. But but yeah, Shield, I mean, Shield in in the like 40s and 50s and 60s was building all kinds of cool tech. I would say the one downside here is is Bucky. Is we get some of him, but and it's a thing that I Personally, I like touting there's a, a YouTube series by a guy named Patrick Willems who talks about this and the problem of Bucky, where we only see him in the big events, but we don't get enough of him to really build his character. And I think if they had a better idea of where they were going to go with him down the road, they would have spent more time with him. And I think the series as a whole suffers because of it, because we end up focusing so much on Bucky and Bucky being somehow the frame of reference or the window through which we're supposed to view Steve Rogers but we never really get to know that much about Bucky outside of he's also there and he's Captain America's friend. And maybe that's all that matters. Maybe all that matters is knowing that he's Steve Rogers' friend and that means that he will protect you with his life no matter what. The best representation of S.H.I.E.L.D. tech comes when Cap leads the charge into Red Skull's final base and says, yeah, we're going to knock right on the front door. And we get a very Return of the Jedi feeling scene of him riding a motorcycle up and uh, taking out other uh, motorcycles with Hydra agents on him right up to the front door. And he's got a bike that's got all sorts of tricks on it. It's got tripwires. It's got flamethrowers, I think. It's It's got grenades ready. It's just, it's a cool tricked out spy bike. And man, I just, I... I've never played the first Avenger video game, but if it doesn't have a sweet action sequence on that motorcycle, they did something wrong. Tommy Lee Jones is driving the Hydra vehicle towards the plane that Red Skull is taking off on. It's full of bombs to blow up all the capital cities in the world. He's got Steve Rogers in the car. He's got Peggy Carter in the car. They're going to go catch up to the thing. Steve's going to jump onto the plane. Peggy gives him a kiss for good luck. And then Steve looks at Tommy Lee Jones and he goes, I ain't kissing you. It is probably when Steve chooses to sacrifice himself to save everyone at the end of the movie. So this is probably also the most heartbreaking part. Um, I think that's the thing about Captain America is that he he can be so selfless sometimes. I mean, we see later on down the line that Cap maybe isn't so perfect and that he makes selfish choices sometimes about different things. But in this particular moment, he chooses to be selfless and to sacrifice himself. So in terms of dangling threads, uh, I, this movie has a couple with the Tesseract, you know, with uh, Steve Rogers getting frozen, as we all know. But probably the longest con and the biggest payoff of the MCU, Red Skull vanishes, not declared dead or confirmed dead within the MCU, about 10 years later, eight, nine years later, we get him back in Infinity War. What a great payoff. What a great interconnectivity, one singular universe. Love it. I mean, right? My favorite dangling threads 
did I understand the end of the movie right? Uh, that Red Skull got sucked into Asgard? Or maybe one of the other worlds connected by Yggdrasil? I'm just watching this in the context of having seen Thor, and they sure seem to try to make it look like that. Man, the Tesseract has traveled. I assume there's more story about what happens to it between when it gets discovered by Howard Stark and the events of Captain Marvel. This is another example of Marvel not killing off its villains. Uh, Armin Zola ends up imprisoned. Uh, he's, he's left with Tommy Lee Jones, left in his, uh, his care, I suppose. And the Red Skull, at the end of things, isn't killed. He holds the Tesseract in his hand, and we see a like portal to another galaxy open up and suck him up into it molecule by molecule. I mean, I suppose he could have been killed by that ordeal, but it's unclear. It's inconclusive. There was no body. And in the world of comics, if there's not a body, they're not really dead. And, well, even if there is a body, they're usually not dead. I like, though, that this is another example of villains who can come back. And obviously, later on in the MCU, we're going to hear from both of these characters again. But overall, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was. I thought the Red Skull was done fairly well. I was kind of sad to see him go for now spoilers maybe uh, <laughs> uh i think my favorite villain moment i think the red skull is a solid villain uh throughout this movie i just love the fact though that he's played by hugo weaving and hugo weaving has gone on record many a time to say that he hates this movie <laughs> he hates the character <laughs> he hates the makeup and that he'll never play him again and he did it uh the red skull did uh, as we all know show up again in infinity war and I just love that it's just not Hugo Weaving. He's a great actor, and he did a great performance. He just hated every minute of it. Um, I think the most heartbreaking is what happens to Peggy Carter. Um, like Steve and Peggy, their relationship never really got the chance to blossom. And it's honestly pretty heartbreaking Like when you think about it, because I think Peggy was the first person that Steve ever thought he could love. And it was very clear that Peggy had fallen for him back before he became Captain America. So just, you know, when she realizes just how important he can be and then just what kind of person that he is. And I think that's what Peggy Carter fell for. And it's, it's honestly just heartbreaking that they never really got the opportunity to see what kind of a relationship that they could have together. And oh man, have we seen the last of Agent Carter? She was such a good character. Like, that's the only last thing that I kind of want to talk about is Peggy Carter in general. Like, she's honestly one of the best characters I've seen on the screen in a long time, like back when this movie first came out. Like, we've had more amazing female characters pop up in the MCU, but like back when this, like when this film was released, like she was one of the best ones. And I kind of wish that her spinoff show had gone better but i'm super glad it existed i wish it had given the opportunity to grow more um because peggy is amazing and she like she was a special agent that worked closely with the british and american intelligence to help defeat hydra during world war ii and like that's an incredible position for a especially for a woman like if you're thinking about the time frame that this film takes place and the relationship that she develops with Steve is pretty wonderful. Like, she was skeptical of him at first. Like, what is it that he could bring to the table that somebody else couldn't? And 
But the more that she got to know him, the more that she really realized just how important he would become in this fight. And I think that's sort of when she started to fall for him romantically is just realizing just how much she cared for him. But it was really not until the Russo brothers come on board and you get the Winter Soldier and you get the Avengers and you get more story uh, surrounding Captain America and more glimpses into the character of Steve Rogers that you get to go back to Captain America, the first Avenger, and really enjoy it more. You see what Chris Evans and what the writers are starting to put in there to develop that character. But it's not until he gets to the modern day that you really get to a better sense of who Captain America is because when you're showing it in the 40s, he sort of embodies all that is great in America then if we're being, you know, that whole short-sighted thinking that America was better at one point than another type of thing. I think you guys all get what I'm talking about here. That idea that uh, in the 40s, you know, everybody was good and patriotic and always did the right thing. And they were trying to show us that, no, but this guy did. He believed in it so much, but we don't really see that until later films when he's put to the test again and again. And it is because he gets the benefit of that character development. I love Cap. I love this movie on the sole basis that this gave us Cap. This gave us Chris Evans. Marvel, Disney, and Marvel took a chance and gave Chris Evans another shot. He was Human Torch. They went, I don't know about that. Let's bring him in, I guess. Uh, We have this kid, John Krasinski. I don't know if he's going to be anything. And they gave Chris Evans a chance. Chris Evans was the best choice, the better choice. I don't want Jim in the suit. I want the jawline. I want the beard. I want the puppy eyes. It's just me schmoozing over Chris Evans. He's always fighting for something bigger than himself. And even though he could die, but it doesn't it doesn't matter as long as he's fighting for something that he believes in and that he can save the people around him. That's what really matters. And even sacrificing himself, even though like saying goodbye to Peggy was so hard, um, he knew it was something he had to do. When I think hero, I do think of Captain America a lot because to me, he's super heroic. I mean, he's not perfect because he does make bad choices later on down the line, but that doesn't make him any less heroic. Podcasters Assemble Probably is a production of the We Can Make This Work Probably Podcast Network. This episode edited and produced by me, Troidal Power. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to join the initiative and contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble probably by looking us up on Twitter as at Casters Assemble. Submissions are always open.
Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links to all the places you can find them online. Thank you to Victor Bazane for this episode's thumbnail. You can find his work on Instagram as at Vic Bazane. Special thanks to executive producer Tyler Thornton for keeping this show on track. It was all fine. It was all fine. It's a good setup for the rest of it. And of course, it feeds us into the Avengers. Podcasters Assemble Probably will return in Marvel's The Avengers. Dangling threads. I mean, my favorite dangling thread is Chris Evans' dangling thread. I I do enjoy the angle of that dangle.